G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Well, David Robertson back with us today. He's known as The We Flee, his popular blog site. He's now pastoring a Presbyterian church at Hamilton in Newcastle. And a special welcome back, David Robertson, for 2024. Yeah, nice to be back and nice to hear your voice in 2024. You're sounding fit and healthy. <laughs> hey, I want to talk about the King, but just before we do, I know there'll be listeners who are interested in why you are called the We Flee, and I did catch uh, a little of the way that that name came to be, and uh, you've been compared to a, being like a flea on a dog's back. Give us a little back backstory here, because uh, some people might be wondering why you are called the We Flee. Yeah, I wrote a book called The Dawkins Letters, which, which, which was an answer to Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion. And he got really mad with me, with Professor John Lennox, uh, Alison McGrath of Oxford University, and I think it was a Catholic writer as well. And he called all four of us. He quoted the poet W.H. Auden, and he said that we're like fleas living off a dog's back, which implying that we were making money out of you know, responding to him, which is really quite funny because, uh, first of all, there's virtually no money in Christian publishing unless you're <coughs> someone really famous. And secondly, he was making money out of rehashing old atheist arguments from Burton Russell. So anyway, um, he called us a flea. And then I was on his website quite a lot. And um, he uh, basically banned me because pe- so many people were responding. It wasn't looking good for him. And so I came back under a pseudonym. Um, my denomination in Scotland it was called the Free Church of Scotland, and its nickname was the Wee Frees. And I thought Richard Dawkins won't know Scottish church history, so I'll just call myself the Wee Flea. And that's what I did. And it kind of stuck. I have a blog, uh, you know, my website's called that as well. And it's just the whole thing just has, I've been known as that for 15 years now. <laughs> Well, I can tell you uh, that to the atheist, you might be an irritation, uh, but to Christian listeners, to our conversation today, you're an inspiration. So uh, you be encouraged. Uh, You are the wee flea or the wee freeze. Uh, You are an irritation to uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, but that's why we appreciate your insight. Hey, let's come back to the monarchy. And before we get into talking about King Charles, I know you're not such a great fan of the monarchy as so many Scotsmen are not. Uh, give us a little insight here into to what you might be thinking about King Charles, uh, his newly, uh, you know, he's ascended to power, this new role. Uh, thoughts here around him and your uh, monarchist ideals? <laughs> well, if I lived in the 16th century in England, I would have been a Cromwellian. So I would have been behind uh, King Charles' great, 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 great ancestor, Charles I. Um, I, I probably would have <laughs> some... I probably would have been the regicide, you know. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a Cromwellian man. I, I really like Cromwell and these guys. But, um, and I'm also in, technically, politically, I would say I was a Republican. I'm, I'm not a great fan of monarchy. However, 
Uh, I love the, the late Queen, and I think the monarchy is something that's kept Britain together. So I'm kind of all mixed up about it. Um, I think Charles is interesting uh, in different ways. I, I, I don't think he's, he's a patch on the Queen. I feel sorry for him in that he's waited so long to become king. And then, of course, he's had all this tr- trouble um, and particularly his illness. So, no, I'm not a monarchist. Uh, I guess I am a Republican, but I, to be honest, I don't care too much about it. I'm, it's not something I get worked up about. I, my argument is I serve the King of Kings and all others are superfluous. Okay, so he's an underling king uh, for the Christian to think about the one who is our transcendent God uh, and Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the highest king. So, But let's talk about Charles. He's been diagnosed with cancer and yeah. that form of cancer is being kept a secret at this point. Uh, what are your thoughts on the fact that he'd been in for a, you know, some treatment for an enlarged prostate and uh, they've discovered some cancer? Yeah, it's very interesting because um, they've been much more open about this than previous royal illnesses. So his grandfather, King George the the Sixth, he died of lung cancer after smoking, but Prince Charles doesn't smoke. Um, and, you know, obviously his mother lived to 101. The Queen, sorry, lived to 96 and his grandmother lived to 101. So... Um, I mean, when you hear that anyone's got cancer, you've got to feel sorry for them. I mean, many people, the other, the interesting thing is so many cancers nowadays people recover from. I mean, you and I are both of an age, I think, where we get tested every two years for bowel cancer and so on. And, um, I think, I think virtually everyone listening to this will know people who've had cancer and died and people who've had cancer and, and got better. So, um, I mean, I'm just waiting just now for a, a, a relative. We're expecting a phone call basically any minute saying that they've they've died. So cancer is one of those things that I think affects all of us. And I think when it hits a public figure like that, it, it, it has a, a, a poignancy as well. You know, uh, I'm with you on all this. Yes, the bowel cancer screening and and I've had a skin cancer removed from the side of my face. Uh, It's interesting, isn't it, that when you might have the cancer diagnosis kept secret, uh, it could be because it's a you know one of those more uh, modest uh, private areas of your body that you might not want the whole world focusing on. Uh, There's been some speculation in uh, urology Uh, suggesting it could be a treatable bladder cancer. Um, The silence suggests it might be one of those, you know, you might want to just keep this a a little bit of a secret. But let me ask you about the effect here, because here's the king. He's got a diagnosis. It could be serious. Maybe it's treatable. He'll have the best treatment. Uh, But this affects every family, doesn't it? The sorts of things that run through the minds and the hearts of every family when there is a diagnosis like this? Yeah, I would say this. I would say uh, cancer doesn't discriminate. You know, it's it's part of the fallen human condition. You know, I mean, we're all going to die of something, and but the prevalence of cancer, particularly in Western societies, is is something that intrigues me, and also um, the extent to which the treatments for it have improved so much, which which has 
been tremendous. But, you know, it, it seems, I don't know why, the, 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 they, they call it the C word. I mean, I remember uh, a man in a church I was pastor in that he wouldn't go to the doctor because he thought that, and he wouldn't say, he was very superstitious, he wouldn't say the word cancer. You know, because it's almost like he thought that saying the word would give it to him or if he went, if he ignored things, which is absolutely the stupidest thing he could do in terms of cancer, because often early diagnosis is the key to um, to getting cures for it. And, uh, you know, we hope and pray that that's been the case for King Charles. I'm assuming he gets regular checkups and I'm assuming this is early diagnosis. Of course, it all does depend what kind of cancer he has. I, I appreciate and respect um his wish, you know, not to broadcast what kind of cancer it is. I think if I had cancer, I don't think I would broadcast it. No, there's some things we want to keep private. Uh, private when you're the yeah. king, uh, everybody is speculating. Of course, journalists in the UK are known for the way that they pry into every single personal detail. Hey, let's talk King Charles, and uh, it's reported he told his sons personally. It wasn't just uh, let them know in the media, uh, just let things get out there, but you know, he's had that personal interaction. There's something I imagine that when you're in a position as being king, uh, you want to keep those sorts of lines of communication very personal with your sons. Yeah, so again, um, there is a whole load of stuff that, that happens when this... So, Cancer has this amazing ability. Well, it doesn't have an ability, but there's an effect that occurs. I've I've noticed that the vast majority of time, when someone has announced cancer, it kind of brings a family together. So even people, you know, that may not have been particularly close and so on, there's a genuine concern, I think, expressed. Occasionally, just occasionally, it might do the opposite. But in this particular instance, you know, it's no secret that there's been enormous estrangement between Charles and his son, Harry, for example. Um, you kind of hope that the seriousness of cancer kind of, it, it, it tends to root out a lot of the trivial stuff and a lot of the petty stuff. You would hope so anyway. So the healing of some rifts might be a possibility. And as you reflect, uh, Prince Harry and Meghan, they've spoken out about life in the royal family and broken some of those confidences, you know, the never break these confidence type rules and, you know, the likes of Oprah Winfrey and uh, a Netflix documentary and the book that Harry wrote, uh, Spare. So there's already going to be some real, real difficulties there. But you might hope that there's some rifts that can be healed, but there's rifts too, of course, between Harry and Prince William, and uh, from the reports that I've read, um, they don't appear to be getting on any better because of this news. Any thoughts there on on these two sons? Yeah, look, sibling rivalry and everything else that goes on. I mean, one of the things, I mean, I read Spare, and to be honest, I thought it was a dreadful book. Um, I I just think the, 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 the kind of the queen had it right, you know, that you, you try and keep your family matters private, even if you're a very, very public family. And once you start, you know, using social media, Netflix or others to, to publicize certain things, I mean, you're just creating more and more trouble. And I kind of hope that, 
you know, it's a bit like when someone dies. People need to be able to grieve. There's, there's a public grief and there's a private grief. And when you're dealing with illness, there's a public aspect, especially if you're a public figure. But they also should be allowed privacy. And, and that, for me, is, is just very important. So I haven't a clue what the relationship is between them. I mean, I gather it's not that great, but then that's only through the media. And right now, I mean, one of the things we saw, I don't know if you, you, you've seen the Crown series, but the last one did show how much the various members of the royal family had their spin teams, their publicity people, spinning against one another, which did not do the royal family any good. Let's come back to a cancer diagnosis here, Dave, uh, because a cancer diagnosis can cause more than just a health crisis. Um, We might think that a cancer diagnosis can cause a crisis of meaning too, the who am I question, the why am I here, Uh, the attention on our own mortality and that question, is there a God and if I die, what happens in the afterlife, what happens in eternity and in some sense when it happens at such a high profile level, people can be vicariously asking those sorts of questions of their own lives too. So is there something here we can discuss around those really important questions of meaning that we might be asking ourselves as just in the same way it might be happening in the king's bedroom. Well, yeah, I mean, um, it's very interesting because there was a case reported in the Sydney Morning Herald, I think yesterday, of a teenage girl who had been ordered by the courts to take chemotherapy because she's got cancer and um, the first dose of chemotherapy seems to work and she thinks she's a Christian girl and she thinks she's been healed and didn't want to take any more, didn't want to have any. You know, and that, you know, you do think a young person getting cancer, or I think my mother-in-law had cancer, and before she died, she refused chemotherapy because she was ready to go to be with the Lord. She knew that, and she didn't want, she said, well, give me another three months. Why would I want that? Um, So I think you'll get very, very, very different reactions. But one of the things that is incredibly significant is that you do face up to your own mortality. I mean, uh, I know so many people in Australia, it's, I guess, uh, who have had skin cancer of various forms. And, you know, that's one of the things I never did back in the UK, but now I do. Every two years, I go for a checkup for all of that. And one day, I may be told, you've got cancer. And then I may be told it's not curable. Um, even if I wasn't told it was not curable, I'm absolutely certain it would make me more aware of death and eternity. And and I think in in Hebrews, the writer talks about how Christ came to free those who all their lives are held in slavery by their fear of death. There maybe are some people who don't fear death, but uh, I'm not one of them. Even though I'm a Christian, um, death is the last enemy, but it's still an enemy. I'm thankful that Christ has conquered death. And I'm thankful that every now and then we have to face up to that. But I do wonder if in the present day and age, um, a lot of people never, ever face up to their own mortality. And that's why the gentleman I mentioned who didn't want to hear the C word or go to a doctor, he just wanted to pretend that he was going to live forever. And, you know, when you hear the word cancer and when when it's personal to you, it brings home probably more than anything your own mortality. And and that's a time for serious reflection, for prayer, and for asking, where am I going? You know, and who do I trust? 
Let's talk about the king's faith. A a diagnosis like this, uh, what do you think that might be doing for the king, uh, for the royal family? Uh, I mean, they'll be asking these sorts of questions too because no one wants to be confronted by this. And, of course, on the back of losing Queen Elizabeth, uh, what are your thoughts here for the king's faith? Is this something that can deepen your faith? Um, Yes, I, I think it can. Now... I don't know to what extent he has a personal faith. I mean, it was very obvious that his mother did, and and he he has tended to be quite nebulous and woolly about things. Although I noticed I was reading recently that he said that he didn't feel that his vows would be serious unless they were taken before God. Um, So he he unquestionably has a belief in God. Whether he has a, a personal saving faith, I don't know. But I do know that he will have an awareness of Bible teaching, that there are Christians in the royal staff whole, staff, staff household, I think, and call it, and that, you know, even the witness of his own mother. And so with all those things, when I pray, I mean, and I do pray for King Charles. I, I was listening to or saw a discussion online with one minister saying he lived in an area where people were quite kind of left-wing and anti-royalist, and he wasn't sure if it was a good idea to pray for the king in public in a church service. And I thought, actually, no. Um, I, I pray for all our political leaders, no matter who they are, no matter their politics. And King Charles is still constitutionally the king of Australia, and I think we should pray for him. I mean, that's the command that Paul gives to Timothy, that we pray for kings and those in authority. And, you know, if the UK, if, he, if it was to be serious and he was to die... The UK would be going through just another upheaval, and that will also affect Australia. So I, I, I think it's a good thing for us to pray for the king and to pray not just for his physical well-being, for, but for his spiritual well-being. I think that's a good note to end our conversation on. Pray for the king, and not just his health, but his spiritual well-being too. David Robertson He's known as the We Flee, an irritation to the atheist, an inspiration to the Christian believer, a popular blog site. Just Google the We Flee. You'll be able to monitor along those things that David's been writing about. Now he's pastoring too a Presbyterian church at Hamilton in Newcastle. You can connect with David at theweflee.com, theweflee.com. David, thanks so much for another great update today on 2020. Great to be with you. Nice to have you back, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.